Amen. Amen. Well, yes, uh, we definitely are cutting out tomorrow morning because our oldest turns 15 this weekend. It's our birthday weekend. And and as you all know, how birthdays can go with kids, uh, especially with girls, it's, it's, a, it's an adventure in many, in many ways. Um, so she has her friends and things that she wants to do. And so definitely want to honor that. And um, baby girl's been doing just a, such a great job. And all the, all the girls been just loving this week. And so God is good. And we are grateful for, for them. I do want to conclude our time in a very uh, powerful passage of Scripture in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll look at the first 12 verses of um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I spent uh, 12 years of my life in um, Chicago area, as I said before. I do not miss those winters. In the name of Jesus, I don't miss those winters. Um, the first church I pastored after I was a youth pastor for five and a half years where I met my wife and we got married, it was, it was a church down about 20 minutes down the road in the south suburbs of Chicago. And I, ne- I never forget, never forget, um, when we first got there, um, getting acclimated, um, one of the members of the church said to me, Pastor, I want to take you to the best fried chicken in town. Now, I'm from the south. That was a bold, bold statement. I said, okay, 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 okay. In my mind, I'm thinking, we'll see. We shall see. So my wife and I went with this guy to the best fried chicken in town. We get there, beautiful ambiance, beautiful scenery. The menu was, was phenomenal, and it's just so, so many options. And I get my, my wing dinner and, uh, you know, got my fixings and my side dishes. And the food comes out. The chicken looks great. And, smells so good. Looked at my wife. We're like, okay, let's see what this really is talking about. We blessed the food and picked up the piece of fried chicken, took a bite in it, and immediately it tastes like rubber and grease. (laughs) It was the worst fried chicken I've ever had in my natural born life, but my mama didn't raise no fool. I'm going to finish my plate because he invited us out to eat. So I'm now having to dock up the dish. I asked, can you please pass the salt and pepper, please? Can you pass the Louisiana hot sauce, please? And my wife is kicking me under the table. Let's, let's keep a happy face and let's dock it up because this brother who invited us, he's sitting there smiling, killing his chicken. I'm thinking this chicken is killing me. <laughs> it was horrible. You know, I think it's a safe assumption that every last one of us in this room likes good cuisine. I've never met a person that said, man, I just like bland food. No, every last one of us, we like food that has flavor. Now get this, we serve a God who's a God of flavor. Now let's not talk about food here, we're talking about more than just food. Our God is a God of flavor. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. May I even add, he's mm mm-mm good. When you look at his handiwork, you look at creation, you look at Psalm 139, every last one of us has been fearfully and wonderfully made. When God looks at you, he does not see an accident. He sees a masterpiece. God is a God of flavor. And anyone that walks with him, that genuinely walks with him, will experience, here it is, gospel flavor in their own lives. And if there's anybody in Scripture that has gospel flavor, 
it would be the Apostle Paul. You look at his life, you see a man who pursues Christ. Yes, it was ugly at times, but his drive to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, his, his passion to know the Lord, his passion to serve the purposes of God in his moment in history is mm, mm, good. When we come to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, really the theme has to do with living faithfully and living authentically. By the way, by the way, nobody can be authentic in and of themselves. God has to make us authentic. God has to make us authentic. You look at the, how, the pattern of how God uses people in the Bible. He breaks them. He molds them because he has to fashion them in a way that communicates that they're not glorying in themselves. They're only important to one glory, and that's the glory of God. And so God has to make us authentic. And you see this reality in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so 1 Thessalonians has to do with living faithfully and authentically for Christ in everyday life. Chapter 1, Paul is dealing with his heart of thanksgiving, typical Pauline fashion. I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful. God is working, God is moving. But now we come to chapter 2, and Paul really is defending his ministry as he's about to address some pushback. And if you'd like to take notes this morning, or this evening rather, here's my message in a sentence as I seek to just try to communicate clearly, because I don't want you walking out of here thinking, what was that? Here it is. Authentic faith is anchored in a great God. Authentic faith is anchored in a great, in a great God. That's exactly what Paul is about to, about to show us. An authentic faith that has gospel flavor is anchored in a great God. Now, I want to share with you three ingredients. What does an authentic faith that has gospel flavor, that has a flavor that says, "Mm mm-mm, good, that my God is good, what does that actually look like? Let me give you three ingredients. If you and I want to have gospel flavor, that we don't want to live a bland Christian life after we say amen and when this camp is over, when we're going back to our normal business of life, if you and I want to have gospel flavor, three critical things I want to share with you this evening. Number one, the first ingredient is authentic boldness. Authentic boldness. Where do I get that from? Look at verse, look at verse one. Paul says of chapter two, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. Paul says, we didn't come here on empty. We didn't, we, we weren't a failure. When we brought the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we didn't come clouding the cross. Uh, it's, it's a sad day today in the Western world. As we look at the landscape of many churches, the cross has been clouded. Smoke and mirrors in the pulpit. A miss in a pulpit is a fog in the pew. People get more introduced to my, their preferences more than the wonder of the cross. Paul says, listen, when I came there, when I came to minister, I didn't come with any other ulterior motives, as we'll see in a few moments. Our coming to you was crystal clear. Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you want proof, by implication, look at the transformation of lives. Jesus did it. It's interesting. He goes on into this idea of Suffering. Look at verse two. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, stop right there. Acts 16. Let me let me read to you what one commentator says about Acts 16. Just just to illustrate the suffering that Paul went through at Philippi. Paul and Silas suffered greatly. They, they exercised a demon from a slave girl. 
just didn't sit well with the people. They were dragged to face local authorities. They were falsely accused of unlawful customs. They were severely flogged, naked in public, without trial and thrown into prison, fastened to chains. We here in America cannot spell persecution. We don't know what persecution is in this land. Okay, somebody don't like you because you prayed over your meal. So what? That's not persecution. Acts 16, persecution when you are standing for Jesus and you're getting beaten for it, start naked, left for dead, and yet this brother keeps getting up and running for Jesus. That is mind-blowing, and that's the wonder of what God can do because when you are in God's hands, (laughs) nothing can stop him. Didn't Jesus say, upon this rock I will build my church? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church of Jesus Christ should never be on the defense. We should always be on the offense because the kingdom can't stop. The kingdom of darkness can't stop the power and aggressiveness of God, our Father and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says we suffered and we've been shamefully treated at Philippi. But he doesn't stop there. The latter part of verse 2, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Yes, we suffered, but we had boldness. Now, what does it mean to be bold? (laughs) It means to be fearless. Um, Boldness doesn't mean to be obnoxious and a jerk. Okay? Um, Let's just be honest. We've all all seen those Bible thumpers. You're going to come to Jesus or you're going to go to hell. You're going to go to hell. I'm thinking, yeah, bro, shut up. Yeah, 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 shut up, man. That's, that's not love. You're being a jerk, and that's, that's a front to the gospel. To be bold simply means to be fearless. The Bible says that our Savior was full of grace and truth. All grace with no truth. It's hypocrisy. All truth with no grace is brutality. All truth with no grace is brutality, and all grace with no truth is hypocrisy. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And if you study his life, who is he hard on the most? The religious leaders. Very religious knew the Bible, knew the scriptures, but had no relationship with God. None. But he was gentle to those who were rejects. I think of that powerful scene with that woman who was caught in adultery. Now, how did the Pharisees catch this sister in adultery? That's a whole other conversation for a whole other day. I'm thinking, brother, what what y'all doing? They throw, throw, throw this woman before Jesus, and Jesus gets on the ground, starts writing. Maybe he wrote down some of their sins on the ground. I, I don't know. But then you see this beautiful picture of grace and truth. Let he who's without sin cast the first stone. They begin with the oldest to the youngest. They drop and they walk away. And the woman's sitting there. He says, where are your condemners? Neither do I condemn you. That's grace. But don't you ever do that again. That's truth. Boldness. Paul says we were fearless. We, we had courage. It's not being obnoxious or difficult. No, it's simply standing for God, honoring the Lord. And that's why he had a purpose to declare to you, there it is, the gospel of God, the good news of God. 
that was our drive. We were bold because of the gospel. But notice his boldness wasn't anchored in air-conditioned ministry. Well, he just came on, too. <laughs> his boldness was anchored in the reality, the text says, in the midst of much conflict. You can't be bold when you sit on your lazy boy or in your Star Wars jammies playing Call of Duty. That's not boldness. We can't appreciate the greatness of Stephen, Steph Curry, you know, unless he's in a conflict called a game. You cannot appreciate glory until you see a conflict. And so Paul, in the midst of a conflict, in the midst of a fight, he preached Jesus. I like what one scholar says about preaching. I love this. He says that timid preaching does nothing but leave poor souls fast asleep. While bold preaching, if delivered under and an affectionate love to the souls of men and with a humble desire to promote the glory of God, is the only preaching that is owned and blessed of the Lord. So this whole idea of gospel flavor, um, we see ingredient number one, authentic boldness. And let's get practical here. What does authentic boldness practically look like for us? Let me give you three practical tools, tools here. You know you have authentic boldness when you have at least these three things. Number one, when you have conviction. When you have conviction, I, you, you just know and you believe deep down in your soul. Uh, I, I believe in the transformative power of God's word. Um, I believe in the transformative power of his truth. I believe that the only solution is, is the cross. Um, you know, I'm moved by this. I'm driven by this. Whatever land God's given to me, I, I, I only exist because of this. I have a conviction. Like even now, I believe God's word changes lives. It's not going to fall on deaf ears. I know it's going to accomplish that which he said because he said so. You know you have authentic boldness when you have a conviction in your heart. But the second reality of authentic boldness is that there's an urgency about you. Study, study Paul's life and you see a man of urgency. Like I'm not trying to phone it in. I'm not trying to lean cuisine the Christian life. I'm not trying to casually punch the clock and phone it in. No, I'm living in the reality that right now eternity is at stake and every person that's made in the image of God has an appointment with God. And that's a sobering reality. So I need to be urgent about my life. I need to be urgent about others. I need to be urgent about eternal matters that I live my life with a sense of urgency because I know this isn't a game. There's no such thing as reincarnation. I'm not going to die and come back as a squirrel. It's appointed on a man to die once, as the scripture says, and after that comes the judgment. So I want to maximize the one life I, that I have, the one life. So authentic boldness is conviction, it's urgent, but thirdly, I would even say that it's warfare. <laughs> For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but those who are being saved, it is the power of God. As I've said before, and I'll say it again, we are living in spiritual conflict. We are, li we are living in spiritual warfare. And so we have to realize that Jesus Christ is a stumbling block to this world. Not everybody is going to say amen to the gospel. Not, the world is not going to clap and say, come Lord Jesus. But there are some, we don't know how many that is, but there are many. They need to hear the precious news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my challenge for us under this heading of authentic boldness is this. We must decide to be biblical more than being popular. We must decide and be in biblical 
more so than being politically correct. We got to be biblical. What is your stance on this? Well, based upon the authority of the word of God, I believe. What is your conviction on? Well, based upon what God has said, I believe. Well, who is God? Well, based upon what the scripture says. This is what I'm standing on. You can say that with love. Grace and truth with a tone of being in love without being a jerk. Because trust me, truth by its very nature is offensive to this world. But we don't exist to please this world. We exist to please God. So an ingredient, number one, that we take from the Apostle Paul's own testimony is authentic boldness. But secondly, the second ingredient of a, of a gospel-flavored life is an authentic heart. An authentic heart. Interesting, in verses uh, 3 to 6, uh, Paul now is going to address some of the allegations and some of the things that the people are coming against him for. Look at verse 3 and 4. For our appeal does not spring from error mm. or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Stop right there. He's addressing some allegations. He, you know, some people were saying a few things about Paul. Paul, you know, they, they challenged his message. You know, what you're preaching is, is an error. And Paul's like, uh, no, it's not. Proof, look at how many folk got saved. Look at the miracles of what God did. You, you, you think that I did that? No, 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 no. This is supernatural work. God transformed lives. God saved souls. God delivered. So allegation number one, eh, it wasn't an error. Allegation number two, they challenged his motives, that it was impure. Paul, you in it for something else. You got some nasty, impure motives behind this. He was like, no, 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 no. Again, goes back to the transformation of Jesus Christ in the people's lives. They also said, you know, they challenged his method. You know, Paul's like, no, we didn't have any hidden agendas. We're not trying to um, mind freak you. We're not trying to uh, Chris Angel you. We're not trying to perform some magician type thing. That's not what we're, we're, we're here for. We're not trying to be like those to bait people. No, we came straight forward. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says in his commentary. He says that when your preaching makes people want to stone you, beat you, and throw you in prison, it quickly becomes obvious mm, that you are not the clever salesman trying to tickle people's ears. Paul's like, no, no, that's not us. That's not us. But we all can think of, there's a lot of preachers in this day and age, yeah, they got some motives. My mama used to say, boy, I smell a rat. Paul says, let me tell you where our confidence lies. I love this. Verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul says, that's not us. Let me tell you what is us. He says we are approved. To be approved by God means to be accepted. I love this. We don't work for approval. We work from approval. We don't work for victory. We work from victory. The world's trying to, you know, work its way, you know, be a quote-unquote good person, uh, accumulate good works to try to achieve whatever they think is heaven. And in my mind, I'm thinking, at what point do you say you're good? You've, you've done it all. 
No. The Bible tells me I'm a sinner. On my best day, my works are as filthy rags. So we were created to produce fruit, but the fruit that we produce is for his glory. Paul says we have been approved by God. God accepts me. But then he also says we've been entrusted. I love that. To be entrusted with the gospel is a sacred trust. And every person here who names the name of Jesus, we all have been entrusted with the sacredness of the gospel that you and I are to steward the gospel well in our own lives, in our sphere of influence, and even in the world. God has given us a sacred trust. And that's why he goes on to say that we seek to please God. You see, our ultimate audience is not people. Let me say it again. Our ultimate audience is not people. Our ultimate audience is the Lord. We serve for an audience of one. I love what 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says. It says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's why Paul says, for we, verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. We're not in it for the money. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles. Yeah, we're apostles. Yeah, we could, we could have wore that badge proudly. But no, 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 that's not what, that's not what we did, Paul says. We're not trying to flatter. We're, we're, not, we're not in it for the money. We're, we don't want the glory. We don't want the spotlight. Listen, let me just encourage you. Uh, somebody needs to hear this. You never, ever, ever have to worry about chasing a platform. Don't do it. As my daddy used to say, when God is ready, he'll come and get you. God gives us the platforms, and we steward those platforms for his glory. And the moment that pride creeps up, God humbles us because it's him anyways. And that's why Paul says, we don't want the glory. We're not in it for the amens. We're not in it for the applause. We're in it for the glory of God to put the spotlight on him. One thing my dad used to always say to us growing up <laughs> as we started, you know, getting in our own little lanes of, you know, just our own world routines. And we thought we, you know, smelling ourselves. Yeah, 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 you know, and we know a little, little bit. And my dad used to always say, boy, don't give the devil a stick to hit you upside the head with. <laughs> don't give the devil... A stick. Now, we, we already know the, the enemy w- wants to attack every follower of Christ. He, we, we, we understand that. But you don't have to voluntarily give him a stick. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Listen to me. What am I trying to say? The greatest protection you and I have, the greatest testimony we have, here it is, is to live a life of authentic, godly integrity. My dad's a preacher, as I've said before. I can't tell you how many times this has happened where we're in the airport. One, one image comes to mind in the airport. Some random guy comes up to my father. Hey, I heard you back in 94. And I'm thinking, man, that like 20-something years ago? You know, preaching in, you know, in, in the stadium. And my dad, yeah, 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 okay, well, yeah, 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 yeah. What's your name? Oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. what's the ministry? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they talk, they talk, they talk. The guy walks away. My dad looks at me and he says, I don't know who that is. My dad would often say this, and even in that particular moment, he said, son, it pays to walk with Jesus. You don't see everybody. 
but everybody sees you. The greatest protection we have is a life of godly integrity. Proverbs 2.7 says, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. As we try to teach our girls that integrity simply is my words and my deeds, they go together. That who I profess to be in public, I ought to be in private. That there's a consistency of holiness in my life. The Bible says that he desires truth in the innermost being. And one reason why Paul is credible here and he's able to stand and he's able to have confidence is because he's saying, listen, we lived among you, as we'll see in a few moments. We, we're, we were authentic. Our hearts were genuine. We didn't have any ulterior motives. Why? Because we're seeking to please the Lord. And so if you and I want to have gospel flavor and want to experience the blessings of God, there's authentic boldness. There's an authentic heart that my heart tells the truth about Jesus, aiming to please him. But then third, third ingredient is authentic love. There it is. I love this. There's authentic love. That's verses 7 to 12. Notice there's three realities of love here. First of all, there's the purity of love. You'll see this in verse 7 and 8. I love this. Paul says, but we were gentle among you. I love this. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. There's nothing. I should get some amens on this one. There's nothing like a mother's love. There's nothing like a mama's love. Mom, mama's nurture. They, they love their babies. I remember when I watched my wife give birth to all three of our girls, and the first thing she did was she counted all their toes, <laughs> kissed them, and, and obviously there's tears of joy, and a mother's love, this nurture, this, this heart to do whatever it takes. And that's what Paul is drawing from this image. We were like a nursing mother. You were babes in Christ. We, we nurtured you. We cared for you. We watched out for you. We stewarded this good news that the only hope that you have is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul drills that reality. I love what one scholar says here. He says the best way to win others to Christ is not to wave the, the rod of authority over their heads, but to be gentle and kind. You know, kindness seems to have been thrown out the window in the Western church in the past few years, hasn't it? We just attack one another. We're known for what, you know, for all these other things and our love. We got to get back to just being kind, loving one another. Now, love doesn't always mean that we all agree with the same thing, but it means no matter, no matter how I, if I disagree with you on something, I still love you. Still love you. Like a mother loves a child, no matter what they do, you still love your child. And so Paul says that our love was pure. We cared for you. Not only was our love pure, but he also says that our love labored. Verses 9 and 10. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. 
And as you all study Paul's life, you realize that he was a tent maker. And here he didn't want to um, be a burden to the church. The church was very small and didn't have much. And so he said, you know, we love you so much. We're going to work. We're, we're going we're gonna to provide a, a living for ourselves. We're going to do what we have to do to take care of our responsibilities personally, but also to look out for you. And you see his love that labored. He, you see those words holy and righteous and blameless. We had an inner posture. We, we had a conviction in our heart. We lived out among you. We, we, we were blameless. You couldn't, you couldn't point your finger at us for anything. I mean, talk about love. He could have went down the street somewhere. He could have went to another mission field. But no, he stayed. He stayed. And that's love. Our love labored because we cared for you. But he also says that our love challenged. Verses 11 and 12. For you know how like a father, there it is. Now he's moving to an image of a father. With his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So a mother's disposition here is that of nurturing and compassion, where a father's disposition now takes the role of spiritual leadership and direction. He says, yeah, 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 we, we, we brought you in. Yeah, we nurtured you like a mother. Yes, we embraced you. We care for you. But we love you too enough to leave you where you are. We have to now nurture you and turn you into a trajectory. My dad used to say this growing up. I did not raise a boomerang. I'm raising an arrow. Boom! Boomerangs come home. And he's like, you ain't coming home. <laughs> but we're going to point you in the direction of Jesus and release you. So Paul uses his image of a father to point them in the direction of the Lord. And that direction is to walk in a manner worthy of God, as we saw the other day. To walk in Scripture is a metaphor of how I conduct my life. And he says to his people, listen, you've seen our example. Now we want you to be an example. Live your life that preaches the gospel. Live your life in a way that honors the Lord. The only way, this is the only way to make kingdom impact. There's no other way. The only way I make kingdom impact is that I walk with the Lord and I serve him and I serve his purposes in my moment in history. And that's why he says to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Ladies and gentlemen, we are a part of something bigger. King of glory. Today I got a, a text message of a faithful member of our church. There in um, Shadow Hills in Las Vegas, who has been dealing with some, some health issues. This guy um, helped feed the kids, feed hungry kids all around Las Vegas for years and years and years and years. Finally entered into the presence of the Lord today. Though it's sad and though um, his family is part of the church, obviously, it, it, it's sad on one side of the spectrum. On the other side, I'm thinking, man, this dude was a monster for the king, for the kingdom. And aren't you glad that this isn't all that there is? Aren't you glad that we have an eternal home? And we're just passing through. This, for the believer, this is the closest thing we'll get to hell. And for the unbeliever, this is the closest thing they'll get to heaven. 
And so as we who have trusted Christ and we we walk and commune with him, we live in a way that says, I know I belong to the kingdom. Let me illustrate it for you this way. When I moved to Chicago in August of 1999 to attend Moody Bible Institute, I'm from the south. My parents are from the northeast. My mom's from Philly. My dad's from Jersey. They're city people living down south. Here I am, first time living in a city, and my dad had to have those talks with me about, you know, how I should conduct myself in the city. First of all, don't have your wallet in your back pocket. (laughs) Till this day, I always have my wallet in my front pocket ever since that conversation. My dad would also say, don't look like a tourist. You know tourists. You can always pick them out. Go to any city, I guarantee you, you can always tell a tourist from the regulars. Oh, wow, this is really, I'm walking down this dark aisle, and, but these buildings are massive. Let me take a picture. And you got robbers just about to pickpocket them and go about their business. My dad's like, listen, 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 listen. You might be new. You might be here temporarily these for a few years, but you need to act like you're going somewhere. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. As followers of Jesus Christ, We are going somewhere. We need to act like it. This is the land of the dead. We're on our way to the land of the living. We need to view life in a way that says I'm going somewhere. And when you see Paul's life and you see his love that he has for his people, I can hear him saying, listen, we're going somewhere. We're not serving you just because. No, we're serving because we know God is taking you somewhere and his kingdom is at work. But far too many of us look at the Christian life kind of like a tourist. Ooh, ah, this is nice. No, 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 it's time. It's time to go somewhere. We're going somewhere. And that somewhere is glory in the presence of, of the Lord. No more weeping. No more pain. No more suffering. And I don't know about you, I want to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. And so if you and I want to have gospel flavor, we got to have boldness. We got to have authentic love. And we also got to have an authentic heart. But all those things can simply be cultivated if we simply marinate in Jesus. The more I marinate in him, the more these things will be obvious the more the fruits of the Spirit will, will, will flow through my life, the more he chisels away things that, I, that need to be chiseled away, and the more that he glories and shines in and through the purposes he has designed for me to do. So I just need to focus on, like some good steak marinating and some good seasoning, I need to marinate my life in the Lord. And when that happens, God will look at your life and say, that's some mm-mm good movement right there. Why? Because God is pleased with us. Amen. I like to grill. Um, Past couple years, I've finally saved up enough money to join my brother and my dad in this green egg ministry. But before the green egg ministry, my my dad, um, growing up, you know, just had the regular Weber grills and, you know, Weber grills, it's uh, interesting grill. Um, my dad, remember he was teaching me how to grill growing up. He would take these these coals and just bunch them up in like a pyramid. And and then I'm like, is that it? He was like, no, just just sit down and watch. And I'm like, okay. He takes the little fire, the, the little stuff and puts it all over the 
and you know to to get ready to to soak the coals and I'm like is that it he was like no son sit there just just watch so I'm like okay so he said you gotta let that sit for about 10-15 minutes I'm like okay all right so 10-15 minutes go by and then he lights lights up the match boom big old fire Woo! I'm a kid I'm loving it, I'm loving it my mother's a little nervous because <laughs> right outside the door like uh, you know she's like Crawford you're gonna, you're gonna burn the house down oh it's gonna be okay honey it's gonna be okay and so it, the grill's going the fire's going the fire's going and all of a sudden after a few minutes I noticed the fire started to in my mind disappear my dad's like no son the fire actually is now going from the outside to now to the inside. I'm like, well, what do you do next? He says, well, you, what you do next is you got to spread the coals out. And then you can cook your meal. Coming to camps is like God bunching us up together. Setting aflame your affections for Christ. Setting aflame, challenging you, leaning into you, uh, sparking a fire, refreshing you, renewing you. And that fire is going, but... As time goes on, that fire should go from the outside to now residing more into your heart. And what God does is that now he spreads you out into your communities, into your world, into your sphere of influence so that you can cook some mm-mm good for Jesus. But it all comes down to, will I let him, will I surrender to him to move in my life? Again, God doesn't force himself on anyone. But if we want to have an authentic faith that is anchored in the great God, we have to surrender and say, Lord, I, I want to be used. I want to be like that coal, Lord, and, and spread out, Lord, and, and make a difference and burn hot for your, for your namesake. And when we do that, God says, you're ready. I'm going to bless your life. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this uh, this week, Lord, and um, so many different things, um, thinking about the, the kids and what they're learning. And um, thank you for the seeds that have been sown into all the, the kids' hearts here and on this campus. And, Lord, even in our time here, Lord, thank you for your word that, that is a mirror that challenges us. But, Lord, I do pray that as we go about our, our day, uh, our weekend, as we travel back home, Lord, I pray that you would Remind us of some things that you said to us this week. I pray that we will um, have a, an attitude of surrender to you. Moment by moment, a sense of conviction, a sense of urgency, a sense of grit to fight the good fight of faith, to, to have a heart that's authentic, to have a heart that is growing in its capacity to love because you first loved us. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would... Um, Hear our cries and strengthen the areas that are weak. For we all got many weaknesses. But Lord, I pray that as we live our lives, that there's a growing yearning and desire to know you more. I pray for the aroma of Christ to be evident on all of us as we serve you. We pray, Lord, that you would um, have this resolve in our hearts to serve for an audience of one, which is you. Help us not to be people pleasers. Help us to seek to honor and please you. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.